So welcome. I have the pleasure and privilege of introducing you to Jennifer Herdman. Now, do you, I mean, I know, I know you as Jenny Smith. Mm -hmm. That's another alias. I go by both names. Okay. So you can call you anything (laughs) within reason, (laughs) obviously. And I won't call you anything bad on this podcast, (laughs) which I I wouldn't even be tempted to because you're amazing. Um, So Jennifer Herdman, and we'll put all the links um, in the podcast at the end, um, in the show notes, but it's jenniferherdman.com, H-E-R-D-M-A-N. And she has been for 20 plus years mm-hmm. um, helping people find freedom from internal conflict. I mean, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist, but I've seen her work with people that I know that are close to me and just really transform their ability to handle stress, um, have relationships, improve their relationships, um, improve their relationship with themselves, uh, have more confidence and deal with all sorts of things out in the world that they just didn't have the tools to do um, before. And I think that it's just been really transformative. And I know she does that for many more people than just those that I know. So I'm going to call you Jenny, um, if that's okay with you. Of course. Okay, good. And I'm so glad you're here today. Me too. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to talk to you about, um, we're all unique. But I know that there have to be some common issues or things, the topics that people come into your practice and present with. Um, And I'm sure it probably spans ages and age ranges. But I kind of wanted to talk to you about in our conversation about what those common issues are, Mm -hmm. kind of bring them out front so that people don't feel alone in those issues. Um, And then I think what we'll do is um, from there, Um, we'll kind of roll back into like a toolkit, maybe some like really usable tools. Because I've done so much therapy, it's a big shocker, um, in my life for since I'm like five. Um, And there's been a lot of talking, which I know is super important. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think tools, when when some therapist started to give me real actionable tools, I was like, oh, thank the Lord, this is what I needed. And that it helps you feel less powerless. And I know you're so good at that. So let's start with some of the most common issues that clients approach you with. What are you seeing? Absolutely. You know, I appreciate your your example of you and your husband and the dialogue that you have, because a lot of the people that I work with come in feeling stuck. Or I hear the words um, numb, I can't seem to feel anything, I feel like the days are just kind of passing by, time is rolling and I'm not experiencing anything, I'm not getting done what I need to get done, I'm not happy. And, you know, to me as a therapist, I translate that as anxiety or depression, but the wording, I've heard someone use, I like this term, perpetual stumble. You know, she feels she's in a perpetual stumble in life. And a lot of times people come in to me and reach out to me when there's this sort of new awakening or awareness that being in that stuck state or perpetual stumble isn't working. And they're ready to figure out why they're in that state and what to do to get out of it. And and like I said, of course, as a therapist, I I translate that as, okay, well, those are symptoms of anxiety. Those are symptoms of depression. So in my opinion, a lot of what I see is that, and that's what I treat. But that's the wording I hear from a lot of people. And I think we all experience that at one point or another in our life. So interesting to me, because I think that, you know, goes back to like, the not having the dream or the the focus and like right. and again feeling so clouded because I've been there for sure with OCD depression I could go on and I probably will <laughs> but I'm going to try not to talk about myself the whole time but I mean I've had so many different mental health issues that sure. have kept me feeling that and 
I've never heard it phrased so eloquently. It gave me a chill to hear perpetual stumble. Because Isn't that a good one? It is. It's a good and sad one. Mm-hmm. Um, and but do you have to? I mean, so your your patients are coming in and saying, "This is how I'm feeling," and you're like, "I see the seeds of or the threads of depression and anxiety." Mm-hmm. What's causing them to feel this? I mean, aside from those feelings, are there like societal? conditions or situations that's that are making them feel that way is it work stress is it this work-life balance thing like what's so that's that's part of it our our situation in the here and now definitely can contribute to feeling stuck or to the stress but quite honestly as a therapist to me a lot of it comes from and you were talking about this when you were referring to your walk with you and your husband but our original programming Mm. you know our original programming that is set so early in life And actually, my associate Carly and I were just talking about this earlier today, about how when we're, you know, when we're growing up, the home environment, the family environment that we grow up in, as our brain is developing, and as we know nothing about the world and everything that's happening to us, every feeling, every tone of voice, every nonverbal, every reaction, we're programming it into our brain as what is normal. And then we go through life with that being our template for how we do life and if we do it that way and this is all like on a subconscious level but we're like if we do it that way I'll get happiness oh lord I mean if I think about that that's really scary no wonder I've been in therapy for decades I mean I got a really my toolkit had so many broken and rusty pieces in there right nothing's working so what happens is we like get into adult life and we're like you know like how come I'm not satisfied I feel like I'm doing everything right how come I'm not feeling you know happiness or joy or everything's falling into place and it's because that template might have worked for you as a child but as an adult it's not working and so we've got to take hold of that we got to learn to recognize and become aware of what our template is and what our normal is so that we can learn to mindfully choose healthy over what's normal. And that really, to me, is a a very basic concept of trying to figure out your path and find your dream. Well, that to me, that just every time I talk to you, you know, you always have these like pearls or nuggets of wisdom and the way you phrase things, um, which I think is part of the reason you've been so successful in your practice is that it's like, oh, my gosh, I've, I've never heard someone talk about it like this. And it makes sense that you learn this template because, you know, like the world revolves around you and your little wor- micro world yep. as a kid. Um, and I guess you just don't question it because why until right. you're older, maybe. And so it's almost like a survival template, I feel like. It is. It's and not really a thriving template. Yeah. Right. I mean, depending on if you're ha- fortunate enough to grow up in like this, you know, ideal home I mean I don't know anyone that did but there's some that are better than others but like the template you're given is like there are they're going to be like little tweaks that need to be made no matter who you are I would think absolutely and I like to call it a good enough template it doesn't have to be ideal it doesn't have to be perfect just a an environment in which and this is what we want to strive for as parents too but an environment in which we let our kids know that they're okay and we're okay, you're okay, the world is okay, you're going to have this confidence that maybe you can push outside the box a little bit and dream big. And it sounds like your dad kind of provided you with that belief, go big, you know, and and for your husband, it was a little bit different. It was like, no, we're going to stay here. Right. Just do this. And this is how you're going to be okay in life. Yeah. And it's so interesting how it plays out, right? Um, So are you seeing this not just with, I mean, I'm so focused on being middle-aged because it's where I'm at. I'm like, look in the mirror and I'm like, whoa, who's that? You know, 
Um, I do and, know. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's where the kids were. Um, you know, you're like, that's that part over there is still me. It's just way over there, you know. Um, but do you see this in younger populations, too? I mean, are you getting any of this? They probably don't know how to phrase it as a perpetual stumble because maybe they're not that jaded yet since they're younger. But are they feeling like are they are some of your younger, maybe teen patients starting to rail against maybe even subconsciously the template? So absolutely, there, there's a few factors at play with the teenagers that I see. The template is the part of, is part of it. it. It's a template that has already been established by your teen years. And of course, they don't know it, but it is what they are still operating against as what is normal. But when we move into the teen years, you know, we kind of switch from looking to our parents as to what is normal or okay to looking at our peers as what is normal or okay. So that's kind of the first time you're the reality of your template is tested out you know like are other people kind of doing things the way my family's doing them is this okay or is this weird you know and when they're when we're comparing ourselves against our peers sometimes they can start to see like I don't like the way my family does this and they might start to reject that yeah you know reject that and that can be healthy it doesn't have to be unhealthy exactly it's just a process that we all go through we also kind of reject parents at that time of our lives and it's not always done in a what do you mean I'm kidding yeah (laughs) I've never been rejected as a parent I don't know what you're talking about well (laughs) it's you know it's like where they're trying to to create their own identity so they have to reject the person that their identity was based on up until this point and sometimes it's done in a smooth way and sometimes it's a bit rocky yeah right but that's you know like when ruby's like are you wearing that today you know like something like that that's a it doesn't offend me because it's a process of you know she's rejecting me to be her own person right which of course you know I have to remind myself that we want them to be their own people, right? right. I mean, they shouldn't just be me, right? Exactly. Okay, I just want to make sure I got you my, got it. I've done my homework. So, you got it. You okay, got I, it. I did learn that. Yeah, that wasn't last week, but I did learn that along the way. So, <laughs> but the other thing that that teenagers are facing, which I see a lot because they're in a develop, different developmental state, is for the first time in their lives, they're experiencing really high levels of adult like stress, but they haven't developed the tolerance to that stress yet. So physically, it feels overwhelming and they haven't quite developed the coping skills yet to handle that stress so that's why you see you know a lot of teenagers saying that they're so stressed out and they can't manage everything we, we right. kind of give them adult-like stuff without them really being the adults tools. yet yeah yeah and I, I do see that i see like my kids opting out of things or like I've, i can't i can't go to school today you know, I can't. <laughs> I just physically and mentally exactly. can't. You know, and you're like, okay, it's the overwhelm. Exactly. And like you said, they don't know how to process it. So they're like, it's just, it's paralyzing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it happens as an adult too, though. For sometimes. sure. Yeah, it doesn't go away. We don't always learn the proper coping skills. I mean, you've got to have a lot of self-awareness to understand like, well, I'm having a hard time regulating my emotions. I need to learn to understand my emotions. And then what do I do with these emotions? That's not something we're born knowing. No, it's it's definitely learned. Right. And hopefully you have a good coach because not I mean, it's not part of our software. Right. And it's also not something you get out in the world unless you seek it. Exactly. Right? exactly. So I guess if you feel like this is a good way to go with this conversation, part of me wants to talk about I mean, there's I love hearing that people are self-aware enough to come in and talk about the perpetual stumble. Mm-hmm. Right. Because mm-hmm. that to me is is great. But not everyone is self-aware. Right. But they're right. still struggling. Absolutely. So I guess um, and this is kind of, you know, off the cuff, but could we talk about maybe like some things to touch base with yourself on like let's say you're not as self-aware but you're listening to this podcast you're like I just don't tap into my feelings a lot but like mm-hmm. are there some touchstones that I should be thinking about in my head like 
does my day, you know, do I feel things during my day? Or like, is there kind of a litmus test for how to tell if you're engaged? Mm -hmm. Like for someone that's not as intuitive, right? So I know um, to ad nauseum, you know, I tell everybody about it, you know, how I'm feeling, right? (laughs) But I think a lot of people are just like, like probably my husband, who's just a gem of a guy is like, I'm just working, you Mm -hmm. know? But like, are there tips for those people to tap in? Before we get to the toolbox to how to address the issues, are there some tips for how to tap in or tune into your soul? Well, I think it's really important to give yourself a few minutes a day and preferably in the beginning of the day when your mind is rested, your body's recharged, you're starting a new day, to give yourself a little bit of quiet time alone with yourself and your thoughts. And a lot of people are uncomfortable or afraid of that. It can be scary in there. It can be very scary. Absolutely. And, and I recognize that. And that's why I say maybe only like three to five minutes. Just start off really small with a pen and paper and write down, what am I thinking today? What am I feeling today? And if you're having a hard time getting to the thoughts, you know, but you can identify like, uh, I'm tired. Okay, say I'm tired because... Or I'm anxious because, or I'm sad because, and you're going to get to a little bit of the thought process or the template or the narrative that's going on in your head that day. Or you can start with the thoughts and say, you know, I'm thinking about such and such. I'm thinking about the meeting at work today, and it's making me feel, and then insert a feeling. But really, ultimately, it is giving yourself a little bit of time alone with your thoughts, even if it is scary and overwhelming. We're not going to die from our thoughts. I know that's one thing a therapist told me once. It's like, you're not going to die from going there. Exactly. You know, so you got to you got to try to go there. And like you said, maybe it's just a little bit at a time. A little bit. Baby and steps. trying to get to them. I know they're connected, but are you trying to ultimately get to the feeling or to the thought? For me as a therapist, I'm ultimately trying to get to the thought process, the programming, the narrative, the template, um, your thought process or what you're telling yourself is going to cause a feeling. Okay, because I think I've been reading a lot um, about the stories we tell ourselves and the stories that I make up are so, I mean, they're quite amazing I can and usually terrible you know (laughs) but I mean, I have this propensity to make up just the shittiest outcome stories ever. Um. That most people would be like, wow, no wonder you don't want to be in your head and meditate, you know? <laughs> um, and I think it's there's so much power in those stories, it sounds like to me, and I know I feel them. Right. That And that's what the template gives you kind of like the vocabulary and the framework to tell the story that may be not a good story. Right. When you're confronted, like, I'm not good enough story, you know, when you're confronted with stress at school or work. or. Right. Well, you know, you asked me how people can increase their self-awareness. Yeah. So just keep this in mind, like that little process of sitting down for three to five minutes with pen and paper, trying to get at some of the thoughts. I'm not asking you to do anything else. All that's not meditate. That's not a meditation okay. time. That's not a problem solving time. We're going to try to do that without judgment. Just get to what's going on up there in that head. What are you telling yourself? Oh, that's good. That takes some of the pressure off, actually. Absolutely. Thank and, you. <laughs> and then you can just sit there and just hear it. Just listen to it. Just listen to your thoughts like you're listening to a podcast. What are the, What am I saying to myself? And then what do I – am I supposed to do anything with that or is it just building awareness? Well, it's building awareness because that was one of the things, you know, right. that, that we were talking about because we're going to get more to – The tools. The tools. But so just to build awareness of my feelings, internal feelings and thoughts, that's a good practice. we got to have quiet time with our thoughts in order okay. to hear them. Yeah, because if there's distractions, if there's TV, if there's phones, if there's kids, if there's work, you're not going to clearly hear those thoughts or those messages that you're telling yourself. Right. 
I love that. So that's yeah. a daily practice we can all absolutely hopefully embrace. Even if we think we're self-aware, I think there's value in that because sometimes I feel like I'm pretty self-aware, but you know, I, I can go through the day like on autopilot. Absolutely. And that's where we get stuck. That's where we can get stuck in that perpetual stumble. Yes. So let's talk about like, maybe some bootstrapping, putting on the right shoes to get out of the stumble. Maybe there's like some, some not crutches, but maybe there's some tools we can use to start walking and being mindful in our our walk of our life and Mm -hmm. our dreaming. Um, Where do you even start? You know, you've got let's say you've got a basic awareness. Um, that you're just on autopilot, not happy, not unhappy, maybe, but maybe kind of, uh, I'm blah, or maybe you are, you know, in depression, and hopefully mm-hmm. people seek out clinical help for that stuff too with right. you and others. But like, where do you start with pulling yourself out of that stumble pattern? Well, call me. Yeah. So I know what's what her number will be, you know, it's like the Blondie song. I want to play like a little riff of that um, later. But um, we will definitely put her number in her website. But I mean, you do need to call Jenny or someone like her because I mean, I think it's important to have someone walk with you Mm -hmm. on this journey. Um, If you can, if you are able to hopefully afford it and um, avail yourself of that option, right? Right, absolutely. But some beginning steps you can take on your own, like looking at as your 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 own study. You're a student. You need to learn more about yourself. You can start with reading. You can start with journaling. Just doing a daily log of different feelings that you experience throughout the day. Maybe trying to take a couple steps back and look at what triggered it. Maybe try to identify some of the feelings or the thoughts that go with the feelings that you're experiencing. So journaling is a great way to do that. Reading. There's tons of great self-help books out there on self-awareness, on depression, anxiety. I mean, a, a person really could make a significant amount of change within themselves just by doing like reading journaling things like that taking care of yourself physically like doing an inventory Mm. how's my sleep how's my health is there anything health-wise that's interfering with how I'm feeling like illness or hormonal stuff or injuries that we haven't taken care of Um, activity level making sure that you're getting adequate activity throughout the day is going to really help increase self-awareness too, looking at what you're putting into your body, all that kind of stuff is super important. So we can do like an inventory as far as our health. Okay. Um, if you have some trusted people in your life, some people that you feel safe with, that you know, if you kind of present a vulnerable or raw side of yourself, they're going to help you self-reflect, you know, and as you start this process of, I think I might, you know, be too hard on myself, or I think my negative inner talk is pretty damaging to me or, you know, and you can get some gentle reflection from the people in your life will tell me more about that. And yeah, I could see how that you seem to always kind of beat yourself up or put yourself down like then okay there's self-awareness that's confirmed that that's happening for you and we'll put some of the um like recommended books and websites and podcasts Mm -hmm. that we both have in the show notes too for people to access when it comes to books and things like that Mm -hmm. um and I like the idea of playing out your thoughts with a trusted Mm -hmm. you know friend or confidant um and I think sometimes I like to preface that with you don't have to fix this for me. Like, right. I just want to talk to you. Right. You know, because sometimes I think, um, and it's like a, a wonderful, um, you know, kind of thought on their part is they want to help you. Right. Absolutely. And they're just helping by listening and just helping you process. You don't have to have a solution 
necessarily in that conversation. For sure. And if you sit down with someone that you trust and you love and you're like, look, I'm trying to better myself a little bit. Do you think you could help me? Could I talk through some of this for you? Like it's going to put them in a very loving position, able to receive it. You know, if if you're saying help, I want to take a look at myself. Can you help? Yeah. You're usually not going to get a negative reaction. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, as far as, and I know we don't have to maybe talk about DBT specifically um, in this podcast, but we can also always do it later, but it just depends on how what you think is the most helpful for our audience. But mm-hmm. um, I've noticed my um, daughter, who's now transitioning to my son, mm-hmm. always wanted a boy, now I get one. Yeah. God like works <laughs> in mysterious ways, right? Um, you know, he had struggled so much with like PTSD and depression and anxiety. Um. And then you did all sorts of modalities, right? And talk therapy certainly is still part of the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, this DBT program, um, and I know that the skills probably are in other modalities of Mm -hmm. of therapy. I've I've heard you speak so many times about mindfulness, and I know that's a big part of it. So I just wanted to see if we could touch on some of that, like some, some other pieces of the toolkit that might be from DBT, might not, but... I just it just strikes me that that program seems really effective for what it teaches. Yeah, it's very effective. And it was actually originally designed for people who have um, pretty severe and chronic self-harm behaviors. Um, But over time, I think that a lot of clinicians have realized that the tools that they offer in that program are incredibly helpful for everyone and anyone, regardless of what you're going through in life. Because the tools are based on, like you said, mindfulness. I mean, we have to be aware of what's going on before we can change it. That's just a a simple fact. And mindfulness is awareness. But the skills fall into categories like interpersonal effectiveness, like improving your communication. Mm -hmm. And as you said earlier, talk is so important. We need to communicate about what's going on. We can't hold it in. And I mentioned with teenagers, like developing a tolerance to stress. So distress tolerance is one of the categories of skills. Yes, that was a big focus. Huge. We have to be able to tolerate our uncomfortable uncomfortable emotional experiences and not act on a way that's going to make it worse can we like develop this a little bit if you're Mm -hmm. open to doing that right now because i feel like that's for a lot of people like a crux core issue is like there are stressors in this world i mean plenty of them all day every day and it's hard to tolerate them sometimes and like you know you may just turn to booze you may have a disordered eating, you know, right. I mean, I'm gonna raise my hand on that one. Um, mm-hmm. You may want to run away from it. Right. Um, you know, how do we develop uh, distress? It's distress tolerance, distress right? Tolerance. Okay. So it's really learning to tolerate a painful or uncomfortable emotion. Um, I read something recently, an article that was very encouraging to me, and it came from an article on DBT, but it was uh, research that cited that if you do absolutely nothing with an emotion, you don't push it away, you don't cling to it, uh, you don't analyze it, overthink it, you just feel the feeling and just be in it, it'll pass in 90 seconds. What? Yes. Absolutely. I've got to try this. Absolutely. That's crazy. Right now, I'm not going to try it because I'm not stressed out. But I'm saying I'm going to go home and try it. Not right this moment. I'm not going to say, give me 90 seconds. Right. But I mean, I think that's what I have a hard time with in yoga. Because they're like, you know, look at the thought or the thought's going to pass through your mind and just let it pass through. I'm like, what? 
It's like almost like when Lucy um, and I love Lucy when she and yes. Ethel were on the chocolate line. Yes. Like, did they let a chocolate pass? No. no. Like, well, am I gonna like? Eat not on purpose. The, I'm not gonna eat the thought. <laughs> like, right. I'm not gonna just shove it in my face and like just ruminate on it. You know. So to me in yoga, I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? You know? Absolutely, and it's learning to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and just sit there and be patient and wait. And that's where mindfulness comes into play. <sighs> sounds like really when good you can and just hard. when you can just breathe through an emotion, it'll pass. If you don't do anything about it, it'll pass. And I think just that simple bit of knowledge, I know for me with a lot of clients I have that have anxiety and panic attacks, reminding themselves of that, just sit through it, just sit sit through it, it'll pass has been tremendously helpful. That's huge. So Mm -hmm. I'm gonna remember so sit through uncomfortable emotion arises, probably some deep breaths or something or just sitting or nothing, just sit and be. Okay. Here it is. This hurts. This is pain. And you feel it. You don't you go, I'm it. not going to feel it. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to no. feel it. Okay. You feel it. You indulge in the feeling. Okay. And let it pass. Knowing that it's not going to take over your life. It's right. not going to kill you. Because these are thoughts I've had. Exactly. This feeling will never go away. This feeling is my new normal. This feeling makes me So that's me sad. clinging to it. Yes. I'm like, that's clinging So to clinging. It. I'm yep. a clinger. Like yep. to cling. So that's <laughs> obviously not a good thing to be doing. Um, okay. So that's a really good tool. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else in that kind of distress tolerance that we need to learn? Um, so this is one of my favorite tips, too. If you're ever in an intense emotional state, you don't know how to get out of it. And this is a DBT technique. Change your body temperature. If you change your body temperature, the emotion will immediately start to subside. Uh, I've got a client once that said she'd be at work and, and she'd feel extreme like anger or frustration. And she'd go in the break room and put her head in the freezer. <laughs> That is amazing. (laughs) I've got someone else that what worked for her was to drink an ice cold glass of water or you can do something like run in place really fast. Heat up. You can go hot or cold. Okay. um, But changing your body temperature will immediately shift you out of that intense emotional state. Um, so that to me is a very simple, basic, like, what can I do right wow. now? Okay. I love it. To it's remember like, yeah. and changing your environment too. Okay. just leaving the room, leaving the house, leaving your office, even if it's just walking to your car and acting like you're getting something out of your car, just change your environment will trigger a change in the thoughts or the emotional state as well. So this is great because now you've already, you've already given me like very quickly three things. So I can, I need to sit and feel the emotion, yes. right? Write it out for 90 seconds. It'll pass. It's not yes. going to take over your life. No clinging. Yes. Right. Uh, and then I can also change my body temperature. Yes. Which is amazing. Absolutely. And it's not just for hot flashes. It's for use in distress tolerance, <laughs> exactly. which is good to know. Uh, and then I can just change my environment, uh-huh. which is great. And that's what some people say, like, I got to take a walk to cool off. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good example. I that's think a great of. Example. that's been around for ages, but this is putting it to me in a new light. Which Absolutely. is great. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Good stuff. Um, so another thing I wanted to talk about, um, and I'm going off script, so you guys will have to like really understand how great Jenny is, um, because I'm really going off script, but um, and she's <laughs> rolling with it. Um, you talked about being in the hallway before, yes. so yes. I've never forgotten that <laughs> metaphor, and I think um, it's very, and I might be, I mean, everyone interprets things in their own way, right? But for me, I think about being a teenager. You're kind of in this really long hallway mm-hmm. between childhood and whatever being a grown up is. I right. haven't figured that part out. So it's like the the bearing through that kind of middle ground. And I think um, as a middle aged woman, uh, and I see a lot of my friends going through this at different ages, even you don't have to be middle aged to go through this, but like looking at what's the next chapter, I'm like between chapters, or mm-hmm. I'm starting to turn the page on that chapter and write a new chapter. 
it's like having tolerance and maybe it's a distress tolerance That's issue. exactly what it is. Um, of like, okay, so I know what that room likes back. I, I got a thumbs up from Jenny, you guys. <laughs> All this therapy is paying off. Thank you. <laughs> um, I feel really accomplished right now. This goes to the inner me. My template was like, get good grades things will happen. So I feel like I just got a good grade. So thank you for, I don't know if we're playing into something that's really dysfunctional. We might be. Stay tuned. Um, So like, I know what the room back there in the hall looks like, because I used to be there. I lived in that room, whatever Mm -hmm. that room is, a previous marriage or a previous job or, you know, being a mom of young kids, you know, and now I'm like walking through this hallway and I'm excited because I'm a dreamer. But some people aren't a dreamer. So maybe it's even more scary. And like, what's that room down there? Like, which and which door? Exactly. So um, how do you counsel people through, I mean, we've got our techniques for distress tolerance, but like in a more meta, um, kind of like between chapters, like teens that are moving towards the unknown or people that are going through a divorce or a passing or like, is there? Yeah. And I like the way you describe that because that is where I got that concept was from, you know, like we've all heard when one door closes, another door opens. And my thought is, well, what the heck do we do in the hallway? <laughs> That's what it you was. Know? I'm so glad you Although like. Although I think I yeah. said what the. Yeah. <laughs> something else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll say, do? you know, you'll, I'm good for it. What the <laughs> fuck am I doing in this hallway? And how the fuck do I get out? And which door do I pick? Sorry, Murphy. Those were my two F-bombs for the sh- No, I'm going to have more, but. But the reality is, is that I think most of life is the hallway. And that, that's the, the kind of hard reality to swallow. And I think that's where people get so frustrated and then maybe go numb or, you know, whatever techniques that they can have to get through that hallway because it's so hard. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it's the uncertainty. I can't stand the uncertainty or the unknown. It causes me so much anxiety or, you know, just so much hopelessness, you know. And but really, that's what life is. It's, it's waiting you know, for that next stage. And a lot of us are waiting. So the way that I coach people through that and help people through that coming back to mindfulness is really the best that we can do is live in this moment. And if you're waiting, then make the best of this time that you're waiting and really focus on that. What can I do right now to make myself feel okay or to serve others or to give back or to be present for my children or to apologize to my husband Mm. or, you know, to put a little bit more effort into work? What can I do right now while I'm waiting to make this moment okay? And that's where mindfulness comes comes in play is really looking at all you have in front of you is this day. Yeah, You know, we can't control, we can't control, predict the future, you know, we can't change what's happened in the past. So really the best place to deal with being in the hallway is what's in front of me. What can I do right now? Should I journal? Should I read? Should I exercise? Should I talk to someone? Should I reach out? Should I work a little harder? What is it right now that can help you tolerate this uncomfortable place? Because we don't know how long yeah. we're going to be there. No. And like you said, if life is really, it's like that Seinfeld episode where you go from one waiting room in the doctor's office to the other waiting room yes. in the doctor's, like, you know, there's like three different ante yes. rooms, you know? Exactly. It's like, you better bring a magazine, you know, <laughs> like stay in the moment. You might be journaling. I don't exactly. know. Because the doctor may never come. But if most of life is waiting, it's, and I, I think that maybe it's a reframe is good too. So like maybe the hallway isn't such a bad place because it's leading you to something else, right? Exactly. So to me, and I'm not a Pollyanna person, but I think I'm an optimist. But to me, I, I like the hallway because mm-hmm. it means that something else that I don't even know is going to happen is coming and it's going to be cool. Like there might be some hard shit in there, 
don't get me wrong, and there right. have there have been there's been that. But it's like, you know, it's the promise of. Right. And that's why I guess the dreaming piece. But I think empowering people to feel good, like you said, to take action in the present feels very empowering to me. So like if I can do something great with the moment, you know, that feels good. Well, let me give you like a concrete example. Like, you know, most people dread going to the DMV because of the lines or, you know, things like that. And like for me, if I have to go to the DMV, I take a good like half a chunk out of my day and I bring my bag and I'm like, oh, I get to read this book that I've been like, you know, wanting to read and I'm going to make some notes about such and such and I'm going to work on my budget and I'm going to do this and this. And for me, most of the time, my experience is, oh, my gosh, wait, it's my turn. Like, I didn't get done. Everything I love that. I want. You know, like, I look at it differently. I look at it as, oh, here's some time to myself as I'm sitting there waiting versus, oh, my gosh, this is so horrible. I have to wait for so long. This is ridiculous. It's all right. on how you look at it's it. It's total reframe. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, you're an advanced, like, um, you know, like guru level when you can make the DMV like a pleasant experience. I'm just saying, like, that's amazing. Um, I'm very inspired. I'm not I'm talking like, about the actual experience. No, with the but DMV it's the waiting staff, experience. But the waiting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. That's a whole different topic. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's another podcast. Um, but so I like that. I I wanted to bring up the hallway because it's always been this ever since you've said it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, what a great metaphor for life. You know, and I yeah. think that, um, like you said, having being productive in the moment or being in the moment in the first place mm-hmm. and then finding meaning in it and doing something with it is great. Right. Absolutely. Um, is there anything that you do with clients? They don't because I feel like a lot of people fear the future, mm-hmm. like in the, the uncertainty and the unknown. And I know no one knows what that is, right? right. We talked about that. So um, aside from faith, which, you know, I know gives a lot of people comfort in whatever form they, you know, um, worship or, you know, believe. Right. Um, are there other tools to give people to lessen the anxiety about like the future? And besides being in the present moment, is there anything else that Yeah, well, being in the present moment does not mean that you can't plan for the future. And I think that it is very beneficial in having a plan. We budget, we plan a vacation. Like you said, we dream about where you want to be in five years. If we didn't do that, we'd be going kind of aimlessly, blindlessly through life with real no purpose. Exactly. So I like to approach it as if you're going to plan, plan with intent and with purpose sit down and set aside time to think about where do I want to be in five years, you know, and when you're doing that, you are being mindful. You're in the present moment, intentionally coming up with a plan for the future versus just thoughts drifting in and out throughout your day where you're like, oh, gosh, you know, I got to remember to look into this or I got to remember to write that book or I got to remember to this or that. And then you feel stressed out in that moment because those thoughts are just kind of coming and going without your effort. And so when we sit down and we plan with intent or purpose, I tell a lot of clients to schedule worry time. Ooh, sit down, tell me more about this because I need to put some more. I think it's on my schedule, but I just it's like one of those things that Outlook you just check all day. <laughs> it's like, all day so every day. She'll be gone schedule. all day with worrying time, <laughs> you know. And then maybe I'll have a call in between. You well, know? if you think about it, worry comes and goes throughout your day, right? And sometimes we'll jot it down. Sometimes we'll stop and dwell on it, and it increases the anxiety. Sometimes we'll push push it away. So why not schedule twenty minutes, half hour in your day where you're going to sit down again with pen and paper, be intentional about it. Write down the things that you're worried about. Schedule your, set your timer for 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And a good thing to do is to have a 
plan with, for what's going to happen once that timer goes off. Like you're going to go cook dinner or you're going to get back like to somewhere work to or, go. So you don't exactly. just like go worry endlessly. Exactly. Make it structured, but sit down with your pen, paper, start writing down the things that you're worried about. Give it time and attention. We all have things we worry about. Worrying is not a negative thing. It's not a bad emotion. It's just that when we allow it to consume us, then it can grow and cause the anxiety or the depression. So structure it. Be intentional about it. Have a half hour of complaining. Get it out. (laughs) And then get back to your life and get back to what you were doing. A lot of times people find that when they sit down to worry, that worry turns into problem solving. Right. And they feel a lot better about what it was that they were Yeah, because you feel a little silly. Not that you should judge yourself, but I mean, it's like kind of like, this is my half hour to worry. Like, what? (laughs) I don't really have What am I doing? Yeah. So like that's great. So you're putting some bumpers or some boundaries Mm -hmm. on it. So it's just not like permeating your entire day. Exactly. Yeah. Which is good. I used to do that when I um, had really bad hypochondriasis, Mm -hmm. as in like needless medical tests, MRIs, you know, I'm like, I have a, this tumor. And they're like, how'd you learn about that? I'm like, WebMD, you know? (laughs) And um, I used to, so then my therapist, like, we probably shouldn't be doing that, you know? (laughs) So um, I would just say like, I would like, I'll have my worry time about like the disease of the day, I called it. So I would like worry about the disease of the day for like half an hour, you know, and put it away. Or I'd say like, you know what, I'm going to worry about the disease of the day tomorrow. Mm Mm-hmm. It's the disease of tomorrow. Like, I don't really have one today. So, you know, and it started to, to kind of dissipate. Like, exactly. put a pin in that for later. And that's just really being in control, being mindful of your thought process and not letting it control you. Right. You okay. Know? So um, I I think um, there are two more things I want to do with our interview. And I want to make sure you say everything that you want to say because you have so much. And people need to come to you, obviously, for their one-on-one we can't substitute this for that. This is just an intro session. Um, but when you talk about intent and mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, and we talked about some tips for that, I think everything we've talked about is incorporating mindfulness. Because and that's one thing about mindfulness that um, you're so good at boiling it down to the brass tacks of things we can use. Because you hear that term and you're like, Meh like Eckhart Tolle or something. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't know what you're even talking about. But you've given us some tips on how to be mindful. And um I think that's super helpful because people need to know how to apply this to their lives, right? You don't have to meditate. Right. You can be journaling. You can make a list. You can sit and worry for 30 minutes. That's all mindful. Planning is mindful. Right. Um, is there any check-in during the day that we should be doing to make sure we're being mindful? Like if we've let the hamster wheel start to roll and we didn't know we did or? Absolutely. One of my favorite techniques is to check in with your five senses, and it's something that's kind of concrete. We all know what our five senses are. And if you're, you know, too frazzled to kind of try to do just some quiet time and see where your thoughts are, you can really ground yourself in the present moment if you just go through, okay, uh, you know, how does my body feel right now? Touch. Do I feel tension? Take a deep breath. Try to relax it a little bit. Am I sore anywhere? You know, am I fatigued? taste, smell, sight, you know, going through the five senses and paying attention for about 30 seconds to a minute on each sense is going to really center and ground you in the present moment. And it's going to be like a little mini mindfulness recharge session. And you could do this anywhere, anytime. I mean, I just did a couple of them. Right. No one's going to know that my you're doing it. My butt hurts because of the, my workout. I'm just telling you. <laughs> if anyone wants to nap, my glutes are really sore. But I mean, that's not bad. Not, right. And that's a check-in. That's yeah. a mini grounding, centering, mindful check-in that you can do anytime. You can 
can set little reminders in your phone that just say breathe, you know, or things like that, or check your five senses or things like that, little alarms or post-its on your computer at work. But those are good, small, quick techniques to sort of recenter yourself and make sure that you are staying in the here and now and not, you know, 10 years from now or 10 years ago. Right. That's really good. Um, is there anything else you want to bring up before I have the audience questions for you? No, no. I I mean, I could go on for no, days. No, I know. And you but... will be going on for days in another podcast. We're going to do a marathon podcast where we just talk about therapy. And we'll talk about me the whole time. People will be entertained. We'll just do therapy. Oh, my gosh. We could do my therapy on the air. Ooh, that'd be fun. Uh, I bring so much to the table when it comes to that. I'm telling you. Um, I have so many things we could dig into. Some of them are totally unresolved. So it'll take days. Um, okay. So I went on Facebook and I just said, yo, peeps, I'm having Jenny on and we want to see what you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of truncated those because there were a lot of like people have a lot of, that they want to know about, which is exciting that they are uh, engaged, I think, in the conversation. So um, one mom said, what do you do when parents, I'm assuming it's not her, but it might be her, it might be other parents. What do you do when parents care more about their kids' social status than the kids do? Why does that happen? What does that mean? What do you do with that? That's a tough one. You know, um, there's nothing that quite prepares you for the role of parenting. Until you become a parent, it's very hard to understand what it does to you emotionally. And there's really no way to prepare to know also, like, what stages of your kid's development is going to bring up that template for you. <laughs> yes. Trigger, for some trigger, people, trigger, trigger warning. Trigger exactly. Warning. And for some people, it's really young. You know, maybe if somebody's been abused and their child is at that age that they were abused, it could trigger a lot of old emotions, fear, trauma, depression, anxiety, things like that. Um, teenage years are very awkward for most people. And so if you have a teenager, um, it can definitely trigger for you maybe feelings of insecurity or maybe not feeling popular enough or not. And, and you know, we, we have really high standards for ourselves in the teen years yes. as to, you know, if we're popular, what group we're right. in or our social status. And so it's very easy um, on, a, on a subconscious level to kind of get caught in replaying whatever unresolved issues you have from your own teenage years and so it's something that I think is very natural I don't think it's intentional and I think a lot of times don't parents don't realize they're caught up in that and a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about like mindfulness um, we haven't gotten too deep into yet but like self-care making Mm. sure that you're taking care of your own needs you're less susceptible (laughs) right and you're you're less susceptible to getting kind of sucked into the the template or the old unresolved issues from your own adolescence if you're taking care of yourself okay that's really good point and I know that I've struggled like with both my kids like wanting to replay like my Carrie isn't a nerd fantasy you know what I mean like so I'm like ah you know be like super smart but like be super cool and popular also and then I will feel better and then you will be great you know and it's like how messed up is that but I mean I like I was there you know it's real it's so real and luckily I have some self-awareness not I didn't stop the train before it you know hit a couple bumps let's be honest <laughs> if we ever interview my kids we'll we'll dive into that but um you know I, I see and I, I and that's why I empathize I don't like endorse it but I empathize with parents that like are are kind of living 
their lives out through the kids Mm and whether it's like I mean, I would I don't endorse this at all, but like I, I see why they would like buy and booze to have a party, but like I would never do that and I'm totally against it and it's illegal and liability, hashtag liability. But um and wrong, hashtag wrong. But um I also just like but I get where it's coming from. Do you know what I mean? It's not like evil or having bad intentions. It's like please just let my kid be accepted. Like, Absolutely. You know, it's and usually so. coming from our own internal struggles. And then also on top of that, like if you're struggling at all with maybe your, your marriage or your job or right. finances, it's going to add to that, which is why I say the self-care is really important. And it's so important in adolescence to recognize that your kids are trying to be different. Yes, and you. individuate. I know my exactly. therapist like, um, she's individuating. I'm like, yes. why? Yes. <laughs> She's part of it? me. She's a Klingon on my body, you know, and then it's like, that's not good. I'm like, okay, you know, so lesson learned. Um, I'm going to jump ahead a question. We'll come back to the okay. other question. So the self-care. So I think it sounds awesome to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like for a lot of people, and I don't have all these components, but a lot of my friends are like work, kids, aging parents, marriage, friends, like how do you self-care? Well, a lot of people mistakenly think that self-care is being selfish. Okay. And that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, as moms, as women, we have a lot of demands on us, like you said, to be there for our children, our spouse, the school, work, parents, all that kind of stuff. So if you're depleted, then you're not going to be very much help to those people in your life that need your help. If you take care of yourself first, you fill up your gas tank first, you got a full tank, you're ready to go, you're going to be in a much better place to help your kids that need help, your partner that needs to be respected and supported, your parents that need to get to doctor's appointments, the school project that needs to get done. You're going to be much better if your gas tank is full, because if you're running on empty, you're not really giving much quality to anyone anyways. And so I think it's just a common myth that we've got to put everybody else before us. It's a smarter thing. And I think, you know, it's not just women. I think, you know, like men or, you know, people of any gender identity, it's like, you know, you just feel like you're supposed to be doing all the things, right? right. And so if you're doing all the things, then you're like the last thing. Exactly. You know? And that's backwards. That's backwards. I know. Because I guess how can you really give quality care if you're completely depleted? I mean, I never, I'm not like I've never thought about it that way, but I rarely think of it that way. And I, especially like the only time I really think about it that way is if you're in front of me or if I see it on Instagram mm-hmm. or if I'm like on an airplane and they're like, you put your mask on first. I'm like, that seems so messed up. Like I want to put my mask on first and then my kid, like what? Like I always rail against that thought when I'm on the airplane. Yeah. But what if you pass out before you got know, that mask on your kid? Have, and like, you now I've got to have some like, what's it called? Distress tolerance right now. My hands are getting cold so that my hands are changing temperature maybe to get me out of my distress tolerance. Get her some ice cold water. I just am having a hot flash Murphy. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, but I feel like it always feels weird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's just so ingrained. So, Absolutely. And I, I'm assuming scheduling self-care is probably a good idea because if you're going to schedule breathing and you're going to schedule a reminder to, to check the five senses, you might as well just schedule your workout. You might as well schedule your whatever other self-care. Whatever it is, whether it's setting, you know, three goals for the day first thing in the morning, whether it's meditation, whether it's a gratitude journal, whether it's exercise, whether it's prayer, 
devotional, journaling, whatever it is. And I definitely think filling your gas tank up first thing in the morning does tremendous. It has a tremendous impact on our ability to get through the day. It's like starting your day off on the right foot versus the wrong foot. So even if you have to get yourself up 15, 20, 30 minutes earlier, what it will do for your energy level, your confidence and how you feel about yourself throughout the day will, you know, totally outweigh giving up a half hour of sleep. Right. So when we can put ourselves first, it's also setting good examples for our kids. It's role modeling how to take care of yourself, you know, and it's okay. We can do that. It's okay. That puts you in a better position to, you know, be there for the responsibilities that you have throughout your day. So everyone, permission granted to self-care. Absolutely. You heard it from us. It's not selfish. From the professional. It's necessary. Yeah, and she's saying it, which means you're supposed to do it. She's talked to her. Um, Okay, and of course, I've run over time because I knew I would talk to her for five hours. So I have one more (laughs) question. It's only been one hour, but still, seems like five minutes. Um, Can we talk a little bit about balancing being a good friend and being like giving someone space to vent? But knowing that like you may not be the best person for that job or maybe they take advantage of it a lot and mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, like I, like you said at the beginning, like maybe you're you're the trusted friend that they want to learn to grow, like mm-hmm. help them learn to grow. But like what if they take advantage of that or what if you're just – what if it's like a more of a take, take than a give and take? Absolutely. Well, you know, let's talk about venting for a second. Yeah. Um, there's a time and a space for it and it definitely feels good to kind of get something off your chest. But too much venting could actually have a backfire effect. Okay. Where you get kind of wrapped up in the anger, the problem, the person, without being really able to move into a state of acceptance or problem solving. Okay. And so too much venting is not good either. And so if you're just allowing your friend to vent over and over and over again, you're doing them a disservice. You're not really helping them. So I should say Jenny Herdman um LMFT told me that you're talking too much about this and you're not going to process it and get past it. So let's go have a beer. You know, like, what? I mean, how do we address this in a nice way? Absolutely. So what you want to do when somebody, you know, want to give them a, a safe environment to kind of share what's on their mind. And um, if they haven't said it to you, hey, I just need to vent. You can ask, do you need to vent or are you venting right now? What do you need from me? And you can kind of ask what it is that they're looking for. If you ask, then they may say, I just need to get it off my chest. Then you know, okay, once they get it off their chest, I can say, hey, let's go grab a beer. Right. Um, but if they say, I need ideas, I need opinion, I need you know some advice on this, then you know what direction to go and you can end the venting at an appropriate time and offer that feedback. Okay. If they're not skilled enough or aware enough to kind of give you that, what you want to do is once you feel that they've told you the story and they've complained and they've kind of gotten the venting out you want to then kind of reflect and validate what you heard you know and let them know I heard you I hear that you're feeling really frustrated because your boss gave someone else a raise that you thought you deserved that must feel horrible right and the the tendency is then to want to go into yeah and and what you're going to try to avoid or help your friend is to move them into kind of acceptance and problem solving so what are you going to do about that what are the next steps what's within your control and you can kind of gently guide them away from the venting into problem solving into either acceptance or problem solving okay right I mean, ultimately, it comes down to it, if, if the venting just goes on and on and on, you might need to have a real open heart to heart with, you know, this is hard for me. 
you know, this, I I feel um, like I absorb a lot of your emotions and it kind of makes it hard for me to be there for you. Can we talk about this? And can we talk about um, maybe a different type of communication between the two of us? That sounds so healthy. Thank you. Can the people bring you with them to that meeting with a friend? Absolutely. Okay, great. Well, no, they can come sit in my I was going to say, so what I'm thinking <laughs> is, um, if and all else fails, well, hopefully before all else fails, you tell your friend to look up jenniferherdman.com, and then you guys could just focus on beers, and, and Jenny can do the heavy lifting in her office for your friend. Um, okay, well, I am so excited that you were here today and I'm going to have to have you on all the time because I have so many more things I want to talk about for Sounds myself good. and for other people too, <laughs> but also for myself. Um, and so I will put all the links um, to your practice, how to get a hold of you. Um, and also um, I'll be putting some of your favorite books and podcasts or whatever Instagram accounts, you know, whatever resources you feel will be helpful Okay, um, in the show notes too. Thank you. This has been really fun. Thank, oh, thank you. For you. The I had a blast. I could talk all day. I know. Me too. Everyone knows that. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Jenny. Okay. Thanks, Carrie.